You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord. Johnny mentioned a few minutes ago that we are, uh, as a congregation, all those who want to, are reading through the Bible uh, this year. And with this lesson series that uh, we're in right now, I'm tracking our daily Bible readings. Uh, if you want to join us, like Johnny said, feel free to jump in anytime. You don't have to start from Genesis and, and, and go on. You can catch up with Genesis next year. That's fine. You can just, uh, just jump in whenever. But it's good for us to read from God's Word. It's good for us to get to know it. It's good for us to find out what's there that we didn't know was there. It's good for us to struggle with some of the hard parts of it because they deepen our understanding of our God and, uh, and of Scripture's teaching for our lives and of how God wants us to live. Now, this week, we read from the book of Leviticus. We read most of the book of Leviticus this past week. Leviticus is named for the Levites, uh, the tribe of Levi in the nation of Israel, the ancient uh, nation of Israel. It was one of Israel's 12 tribes, and it was from the tribe of Levi that the priests of Israel came. And Leviticus is a book of laws for Israel. It's a tough book to read through. There are all kinds of details in there that don't seem to pertain much to our time today. Details on proper procedure for offering animal sacrifices. We don't do that anymore. Details on purity laws for Israel. Details on more purity laws for Israel. They just seem to go on and on. And there are lists of terrible things a person should never do and the penalties for doing them. Very much like a, a law code today has a list of terrible things a person should not do and the penalties if you do them. These things are hard to read in Leviticus. They're hard to work through for a 21st century audience. But there's a lot of value and good in Leviticus as well. And we're going to dig into some of that in a few minutes. We'll spend a little time in Leviticus this morning. But I want to begin in the letter of 1 Peter, which comes almost 1,500 years after Leviticus in the time of the church. And so after Jesus, uh, far after the time of Moses, this is a teaching letter from the Apostle Peter to Christians in the very early church, when the church had only been around maybe 30 years or so. So Peter writes this to the church, and I want to begin in 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. And Isaac, I, I think we have listed on there that we were going to read through verse 12, but I actually want to stop at verse uh, 10. Okay, I, I wrote down the wrong number. Peter says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to, the, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that makes people, that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this passage, Paul twice calls the church a priesthood. And it's from this passage and a couple of uh, lines in Revelation to the same effect that we get the concept of the priesthood of all believers. So in churches of Christ, we do not practice uh, appointing a priesthood uh, in our churches. We believe that all followers of Jesus are priests, and we believe that because of what Peter writes here in those couple of lines in Revelation. Peter writes that in the house that God is building, Jesus is the precious cornerstone. He's the main part. He's the first part you put down. You put it in exactly the right place. You build all the rest of the house off of that cornerstone, and the house will be structured and angled just right. And many people, Peter says, reject Jesus. They reject this cornerstone God has set. And so they stumble over this stone that God has established because they disobey the message of Jesus, because they reject him. But not you. To you, Jesus is precious. And so Peter says, you have become the people of God, people who belong to God and have received mercy from God. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. And so whatever happens to you tomorrow, whatever bad news you get, although I pray you get none, but only good, If you have a hard day, though, I pray that your day goes well. If you have a great day, blessed by God, or if you burn dinner, you know, just, has that happened to you, brother? Yeah, me too. (laughs) The rice, especially. Even if you burn dinner, you are precious to God. Peter wants you to know that. You are precious to the one who created all things, who is father of us all and gave us life and who loves us, to the God to whom we owe everything. You are precious. On the basis of your obedience to Jesus, God has appointed you his chosen people, his holy nation, his special possession. You may not feel like it all the time, but that's who you are if you follow Jesus. Now, God loves everybody, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But most people don't have a a great relationship with God. And a lot of people have rejected him. But people who follow Jesus and who love God and are obedient to him have a great relationship with him. And God delights in such people and pours out his blessings on them. And he gives them, us, a priesthood, which comes with great joy and privilege in the kingdom of God, but it also comes with sacred responsibility, work to do, a holy mission. Peter mentions it twice. So in verse 5, he says, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then he talks about our sacred responsibility. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the work God has called us to do as his priests. And then again in verse 9. 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and you have a holy mission. What is it? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are priests, a holy and royal priesthood with priestly work to do, offering spiritual sacrifices to God and declaring his praises. That's a tremendous honor. And it's an indication of how precious we are to God that he has given us this calling. So, how do we do that? How does one be a priest of God in the kingdom of God through Jesus our Lord? When we think of priests of God today, we shouldn't think probably of a black shirt with a little white section on the collar. That's not the kind of priest Peter is talking about because that kind of priest wasn't even around in Peter's time. Didn't come till much after Peter's time. Peter's thinking of our priesthood in terms of the priesthood that he knew, the Jewish priesthood, the priesthood of Israel, which had been established by God in Israel some 1,500 years before Peter's time, back in the time of Moses and in the time of the book of Leviticus, when God gave his laws for Israel. And so let's go back to Leviticus for a few minutes, and let's dig around in there and see what it meant to be a priest in Israel. And then we'll talk about what that means for us as priests of God today. And this, by the way, is a good way to read Leviticus. If you struggled through Leviticus this week, or if you're a little behind, but you're intending to catch up, Leviticus makes more sense when you read it through the eyes of a priest. And you read it as one who needs to know what God wants you to do. Then there's a lot of good information in there for you in Leviticus. Leviticus has a lot of teaching for Israel's priests. So let's look at a few examples, just a few, starting at the beginning of the book. Let's begin in Leviticus 1 and verse 1. And you hear right from the beginning... Uh, just how uh, difficult and, and dry uh, Leviticus can be for, for us today sometimes. Leviticus 1, 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, either, uh, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord." And then Leviticus goes on to tell about several other types of sacrifices that might be brought to God and describes them in the same kind of detail. And in all of them, the priests have this responsibility that's mentioned in verse 5. And this is what would catch your ear if you're a priest of God in ancient Israel. 
that you are to bring the blood of the offering before God and you are to present the sacrifice to God on the altar and you're to do all this in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And so the first thing you find out if you're a priest reading Leviticus is the priests are to bring Israel's sacrifices to God. They were the connectors between God and the people. They represented God to the people, and they represented the people to God. They were the ones who made sure the Israelites brought the right kinds of offerings to God, animals without defect, like verse 3 says, properly presented in a way that honors God, properly processed and sacrificed in worship to God. Peter says, we are God's holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we, like the priests of ancient Israel, bring gifts to God and serve as connectors between God and people who come seeking Him. We don't bring animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus, our Savior, became our ultimate sacrifice, our surpassing and permanent sacrifice when He gave His body and shed His blood on the cross. But we bring spiritual sacrifices to God. We help people come before God. We are connectors between God and people. And you may not feel like a priest most days, especially when you, when you burn the toast or you burn dinner. And just, you don't feel like a priest at that moment. But the fact is, you know people who don't know God. And don't know how to come before him. And if they tried, they, they wouldn't know how to do it in a way that pleases God, maybe. And every time you pray for those people, you bring God a spiritual sacrifice of prayer on their behalf. You bring them before the throne of God in prayer. And some of these people you know who don't know God may not have anyone else in their life who does that for them, who can represent them before God. For them, you're a priest. You're a priest in service to God in the sense that you bring gifts to God all the time, sometimes on your own behalf. Lord, this is my gift to you. Sometimes on behalf of others. Prayers and petitions and pleading with God to help someone. Gifts of sacrifice, uh, service Sacrifices of service to God, sacrifices of your time and effort. These are gifts that you bring to God. Gifts of the resources God has given you so that someone else may be blessed for God's glory. You are a priest called to do such things in worship to God and in the priestly service of connecting people with God. We're learning what it means to be priests in the kingdom of God. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 5. In verse 17. God is still speaking to Moses here. Giving more instructions. And he says. If anyone sins. And does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. Even though they do not know it. They are guilty. And will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priest as a guilt offering. A ram from the flock one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally 
and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. They have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. One of the jobs of the priests of Israel was to help the guilty find forgiveness from God. Help them bring the right sacrifice. Show them how to make things right with God, how to be forgiven. God has called us who ourselves are forgiven sinners but have been appointed as priests in his kingdom to be intermediaries between sinners and God to help people come to God for forgiveness. In 1 Peter 2, Peter calls us a priesthood and says, We were once people who had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We have been forgiven by God. And we have been forgiven so that, among other things, we may become priests who can then help others come and be forgiven by God too. I remember several years ago, <clears throat> a man came to our, our church for the first time. Uh, his wife brought him. I, I think they both came for the first time on the same day. And he had been away from church for a long time. She'd been wanting him to come. And he came because God had been working in his life and he was realizing how much he needed God. And you may not remember it, but you received this man graciously. And you saw that he had pushed God away for a long time and he needed God's forgiveness. And in all the normal and beautiful ways, you just loved him and loved his family. You loved them with the love of God. You adopted their family as a part of our church family, even before he really came to, to express his faith in God. And you helped him the way that priests help sinners until he made that decision to follow Jesus and was baptized into Christ and God washed away his sin. And this man's family, they, they later moved to another city, but now they are priests of God themselves doing the same kind of thing for other people. You were priests to this man who needed God, who needed forgiveness. And every day, you are a priest seeking and working to bring people to God for their forgiveness. It's one of the things that priests do. Now, anyone who helps others receive cleansing from God must first be cleansed themselves. And that was true also for the priests of Israel. The holiest day of Israel's year was the day that they called the Day of Atonement, or in Hebrew, Yom Kippur. You might see it on your calendar when you get to October this year. This year it'll be on October 5th. Uh, Jews, observant Jews still celebrate that day. On that day, and only on that day, the high priest entered the most holy place in the tabernacle, God's sacred tent, or later in the temple once it was built and replaced the tabernacle. And on that day... The high priest would offer a special sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the whole nation of Israel. But before he could perform this sacred task, he had to be purified himself. No one who's impure because of sin can come before God and seek purification for someone else. They have to make things right with God themselves first. This is why Jesus had to be sinless to be our perfect sacrifice. And because he was unblemished by any sin of his own, he was able to make payment for our sin. 
And so to prepare Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, to come before God and offer sacrifice for the whole nation on the Day of Atonement, God gave Aaron these instructions. This is Leviticus 16 now, starting in verse 3. The Lord says, This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And the instructions go on from there, but before Aaron was, to, was fit to offer sacrifices for the nation, he had to be cleansed himself. So he had to first bathe himself with water. There might be a little parallel there to our baptism. And then he would put on his most sacred garments. And then before he could enter God's presence in the most holy place, he had to offer a young bull as a sacrifice for his own sin and for his household, for their purification. And then he would be fit to come before God. Once he and his household had been forgiven, he was ready to bring the offering of goats and of a ram for the forgiveness of the people. And in the same way, we have to be forgiven and made holy before we can serve as priests to assist in the reconciliation of others with God, to assist in their forgiveness and cleansing. And Jesus has accomplished that for us. We cannot bring about our own forgiveness, but Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, has made us holy. And so 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 says, He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus, our great high priest, bore our sins to make us holy, to cleanse us and heal us and give us a new life, to make us, as we read earlier, a chosen people, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So now we have an obligation as priests of God to keep ourselves holy for God in everything we do. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And that's actually a quotation from Leviticus. From Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The whole nation of Israel was to be holy in imitation of their God. And the priests were called to lead the way in holiness in Israel. In fact, if you're reading through the Bible with us this year and you read a big chunk of Leviticus this week, then when you read chapter 21 this past week, you may have noticed that God set strict requirements for the priests of Israel when it came to marriage and personal hygiene and even what dead bodies they could and could not be around. Priests had to live holier lives than everyone else. Let's look at an example of that teaching out of Leviticus 21. 
chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, such as his mother or father, his son or daughter, his brother, or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him since she has no husband. For her, he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage, and so defile himself. Priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God. Because they present the food offerings to the Lord, the food of their God, they are to be holy. They must not marry women defiled by prostitution or divorced from their husbands because priests are holy to their God. Regard them as holy because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. Holy is the key word in the whole book of Leviticus. And in all of these instructions for the priest in particular, the point is that priests are to set an example of holiness for the Israelites to follow. They're to be more holy than the people around them in how they keep themselves ritually clean. So where anyone else could help with you know, any dead body uh, as needed, the priests are not allowed to be around most dead bodies, only someone who's a close relative, really their immediate family pretty much. They're to be more holy in their appearance than the rest of the Israelites. So they must not shave their heads or the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. These were things the Canaanites did as part of their religious practices. And Israelite priests were to stay absolutely as far away as possible from any appearance of worshiping the Canaanite gods or any other gods. They were holy to the Lord. They're to be more holy than the rest of Israel in whom they marry. Other Israelites could marry a prostitute or a divorced woman, but a priest could not. He could only marry someone of excellent reputation, someone who's kind of the, the ideal, because the priest was to be a model of holiness for Israel in imitation of the holiness of God. And as Christians, we may not have the same rules they had because we live under the covenant of Jesus, not the covenant of Moses. But we still have the same obligation to live holy lives as models to the people around us. So right after he calls us a priesthood, twice, the next thing Peter writes is in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And Isaac, this is where I want to get to verses 11 and 12. So Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the language of holiness. And it's appropriate for men and women who have been made priests of God in Christ. Peter says, abstain. From sinful desires. You want to do this, but don't do it. You want this thing. Don't don't go there because it's sinful. Abstain from sinful desires. Live such good lives, he says. Be careful how you live. Let people see your good deeds, he says. We have a responsibility as God's priests to live in a manner that is more holy than most of the people around us live. 
to live holy, godly lives as models for others so that when they see how we live, they might actually turn and give glory to God. Priests represent God to the people around them. And therefore, as representatives of God, we must be holy because the God we love and serve and represent is holy. And we have one more responsibility as priests that I'll point out from Leviticus this morning, and then we'll close up the lesson. This is a pleasant responsibility. It's one that we have enjoyed already today. From Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. This is kind of dry stuff, you know. Do this on this day, and, and it's supposed to last seven days, and present food offerings and so forth. And the priests aren't even in the, the foreground here. But this is actually really joyful uh, things that God is commanding here. And the priests are there. They're in the background, but they're there. God is instructing Israel to celebrate a week-long, actually eight-day-long festival each fall called the Festival of Tabernacles, which just means the Festival of Tents or, or Booths, something like that. Tabernacle just means tent. And because it involves sacrificial offerings, this festival is to be led by the priests. They're in charge of all Israel's sacrifices. And it's supposed to include sacred assemblies, and the priests are in charge of those as well. And so they're involved, and they're leading the way in this festival. Here's the best part. Let's skip down to verse 39, chapter 23, verse 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The Israelites were to take leafy branches, and build temporary shelters with them, and live in those shelters for seven days to recall how their ancestors lived in temporary shelters when God was leading them through the wilderness as they traveled from Egypt to the Promised Land. And they were to take the first and last days of the celebration off from their work. Well, this is starting to sound okay. Get a couple days off, take some time to celebrate. And they were to rejoice. Rejoice and celebrate in the Lord. Have fun. Have a good time. This was a joyful festival. And the priests led Israel in this festival. It was a festival of praise to God for how he had taken care of them and their ancestors in the wilderness. And so the priests had this sacred responsibility of leading Israel in rejoicing and celebration and praising God for the way he cared for Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, when they didn't yet have a land of their own and houses of their own to live in. 
and for the way he cared for them every day thereafter. In the reading we started with, Peter wrote that God has made us a royal priesthood so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Part of our sacred duty as priests is to praise God and to rejoice in him and, in, and to lead the way in doing so. In the whole human population across the whole earth, we are the people whom God has called to lead the whole world in declaring God's praises, rejoicing in him, celebrating his goodness. And that's a big part of what we are doing here this morning, what we've already done. You know, we're just being priests, bringing gifts to God, helping each other and helping people in our community find forgiveness, teaching and encouraging each other to be holy and proclaiming God's praises. And these are all sacred duties, the work of priests. If you follow Jesus, then you are a priest of God, a member of a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Part of a royal priesthood, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so this is how to be a priest. Peter talks about it. Leviticus adds depth to our understanding of our priestly calling. Being a priest means we bring sacrifices to God. Sacrifices of prayer and of service and of our time and our resources and of our love and honor. We bring sacrifices to God on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of each other, on behalf of the people all around us, anyone who needs God. We connect people to God. Being a priest means we help bring sinful people, which frankly is everyone, to God for forgiveness. And we need forgiveness too. And so we come to God for purification. And through Jesus, he cleanses us and he makes us holy. And then being a priest means we live holy lives, both to honor God, who himself is holy, and to present ourselves as examples for the people around us so they can see that our God is holy and come to honor him and give him glory. And being a priest means that we, of all the people on, the, on earth, have the joyful privilege and duty of leading the way in praising God, in rejoicing in him, and in celebrating his goodness. And so I want to encourage you this morning, as Peter said, you are a priest of God. So don't look, at, look, don't look down on yourself this week like, oh, I'm not very good, good this week. I'm not good enough to be useful in God's kingdom, in God's church. I'm just someone small. You may not be perfect in holiness yet, and you may burn dinner. That might happen. But through Jesus, God has made you his priest you don't even have to apply for the job. You're in. All God's children are his priests. So grow in your priestly calling. Don't look down on yourself this week, but grow in your calling as a priest of God. Be holy as our God is holy. Represent him well. And knowing that Jesus died for you, that his precious blood makes you holy, devote yourself to continuing to be holy in the sight of God and devote yourself to doing what is good and look for opportunities to do those things that priests of God do. Connect someone to God this week. Pray for someone this week. That's what priests do. Be God's liaison 
to someone. Be, help someone find forgiveness. Let God purify you this week and, and go out and do something good. Just do good for his glory. And praise God this week. Praise him and rejoice in him. And may God, who called us to be his holy priesthood, bless us in our service to him. Let's pray together. Most holy God, you who are pure and excellent beyond our understanding, we are unworthy to come before you even in prayer, even to ask you for anything. You who made all things, who has power over all things, we are um, small in your presence. And yet, you have invited us and taught us to come before you and to lift up our requests to you. And we praise you, O oh God, because you are good. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus by which we were made holy when we were washed in the water of our baptism, when we took off uh, our old clothes and put on the new and sacred garments of priesthood and were clothed in Christ. And we thank you, our God, for making us holy. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to live for you this week. That we, would, uh, we pray that you would help us to continue to be holy. Keep us from sin, O oh God. Help us to flee from temptation. And if we stumble, Lord, then help us to do better than we did last week. Help us to do better tomorrow than we do today. But God, make us holy that we may serve you as your priests. Lord, all of us know someone who needs you. And in our hearts right now, if we have someone we've been concerned about who we wanted to see follow Jesus or come back to Jesus, Lord, we lift up one or two of their names to you right now in our hearts. And we place them before your throne. And we ask you to help them. If they need forgiveness, dear God, forgive them. And if they have not begun to follow Jesus, we pray that you would lead them to Jesus, that they may be forgiven fully, and that they may be made holy, be made children of God. Dear Lord, walk with us this week. Help us in our priestly calling. We are so grateful for the position you've given us and for the, the role that you've given us in your kingdom. And we just pray that we may fulfill it well. Give us courage this week, Lord. Watch over us and help us. We praise you and give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.